Salams, y'all. Welcome to Zina's Bukala, a duty to memory and possibility. This podcast is both a call to remember what's always been sitting deep within our bones and an invitation for new stories to emerge, an opportunity to speak ourselves and our futures into existence. It's for the stories that you'd never hear about in school, for the words that move us along our journey towards healing and liberation. And it's most definitely a nod to our ancestors. I am sitting at Studio X. Hi, Kiki. Hey, boo. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. I'm really excited uh, to be on your podcast. Girl, such a blessing to share space with you always. Kiki got me up in the studio tonight, y'all. Professional mics, professional space. Thank you so much for, you know, accepting the invitation. I'm so excited for folks to get to hear your story, your journey, how you got to be in this place. Ask anyone who Kiki is, and they will say, this is one of the most loyal sisters I have. This is the best ride or die, one of the most fun ride or die, one of the most fun people to kick it with. And just so humble, so humble, so fucking generous, hella multi-talented goddess over here. We got the makeup game is always on point, the music medicine, the magic behind the scenes. First things first, we are here recording this episode again at Studio X. That was so beautiful, sis. Thank you. Wow. I wish you could introduce me everywhere I go. Um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. You are such a blessing in my life, and I am so grateful and honored to be here right now. Tell us about Studio X. Yes, um, we are recording right now in Studio X, a woman of color owned and operated recording studio located here in Oakland, California. I work here at Studio X as a recording engineer and a mixing engineer as well as arrangement production, project planning. And, you know, I also just want to say it is so great to have such a haven of a place like Studio X in an industry that is so male-dominated. And that was made possible from the efforts of our studio owner, Karina. I met Karina... A couple years back at Women's Audio Mission while she was doing her internship, I am so glad that we met. And she's just a boss-ass bitch, honestly. That's my girl. I always joke with her. I mean, no offense to anyone's listening that wasn't her cohort, but I only remember Karina from her cohort. And I remember during her internship at WAM, she like already is like a full-time engineer. At the time, she was working at Tuned Studios. And I remember it was like working sessions, but she was there to learn outboard gear. And I'm glad that she did because then we met and a couple years later, she hit me up, AKA this year, <laughs> and was like, what are you working on? What are you doing? Where are you at? I'm opening a studio and wow, like to have seen Karina grow and flourish like I'm just so proud of her and I'm so happy to be a part of this studio where we can offer a safe space a great work environment and you know to be able to really change the game in Bay Area music starting from where it's created like this is a lab this is this is where things get cooked up 
And I always say, like, as engineers, we're like the doctors that birth your babies. You know, like, this baby is yours, but we need to be able to, like, have it be birthed smoothly. Trust us with your projects. And, yeah, all that to be said that this studio has so much love and intention poured into it and I really do hope that if y'all are in the recording game if you're an artist if you're a voiceover actor if you're a producer whatever floats your boat come through check us out we got a shower okay our bathroom has a shower Mm, I love the arc of this story too like I mean you know, Karina could come back to you years later also because of the relationship that you built, right? Because of your political, because of your values and for them to be able to come back now and be like, I'm doing this thing. And right at a time where you needed something also feels like, you know, when spirit wants us to be somewhere, it finds the way. So I love that. It's really beautiful. You say, you said, you mentioned something about, um, you know, the audio industry. So you're an audio engineer. I'm sure there's not a lot, Mm -hmm. like you're saying, not a lot of, not a lot of sisters in that field, especially women of color, right? So you say it's hard and like what, tell us about, give us a little insight. Navigating the audio industry as a woman, as a woman of color is, is wild. You know, when I decided to choose this as my career, I didn't really think about that the fact that not a lot of women were centered in this industry was going to be a problem for me for some reason, or it was just something that did not come to mind. And that was a pretty big reality check when I went to college because all of a sudden I was one of two women in my class and I was the only high femme. And then no one knowing how to interact with me or professors trying to explain how to wrap a cable like I would organize my makeup to have a studio as clean as I would like my get ready station. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, can you just why can't I just wrap a cable like I'm supposed to wrap a cable? Like, why do you got to make everything a comparison? Like, I don't know. That was weird. Everything directed towards me. The only time I was ever really spoken to by my all-white professors, by my cis men peers, always had to do with my identity. It was exhausting. And then after school, trying to go after the same jobs that my peers were getting right out of school, which, you know, is usually stagehand work and, like, a lot of live sound gigs. And their hiring manager reaching back to me asking me things like you know this is a lot of heavy lifting wouldn't you prefer just being like front desk or being in the office like why would that benefit me in the direction I want my career to go to you just hired a bunch of my classmates we got the same training because you think I can't pick up a monitor You think I should go into the office and greet instead? Shit. It wasn't until it was like my second internship that I went for. um, And this internship was at Women's Audio Mission. And I had heard about Wham! when I was in college. 
and one of my studio managers love him big shouts to Ishwar um, was like you know I see you staying really late which was true I was also one of the youngest um, in my class I graduated high school early and I went there right after high school and in all honesty my only experience in sound was DJing I was a DJ through high school and obviously like through college and but other than that, I knew this was what I wanted to do, but I had never, I'd never even touched a Mac computer before. All right, we were straight out the hood, girl. You know, we had, we had never had access to like technology like that, and like cosas de marca like that, never. So I would stay really late to try to catch up with my peers who already like knew how to produce, knew how to like, knew one or the other, right? It's like they wanted to learn how to use pro tools and engineer and use outboard gear or some wanted to learn how to produce and use DAWs and like create a song and I just went in kind of knowing nothing other than how to like beat match you know and so I would stay extra I would stay hella late to try to like catch up and do my shit and learn and um Ishwar noticed and he was like hey yo like have you heard about women's audio mission? Because I'll always complain. I'll be like, ew, Ishwar, these boys are smelly. They be leaving the studio smelling so gross. You got Febreze. Ugh, I'm going to have to leave the door open. Like, I would just always be in there bitching about these men because they're just being gross men. And he's like, yo, you heard about women's audio mission? And I was like, no. And he's like, I'm going to make you remember right now. And he did. So then later after that, after I graduated, I had done an, another internship at a music streaming site that made me realize I did not want to be in the streaming world. Um, I interviewed on Women's Audio Mission, interviewed by Kelly Coyne and Veronica Simonetti. Friends to this day, wow. That day I met them, it was the day after I got my cast off. I had broken my wrist and my arm um, and I was so nervous. I was nervous to say my experience because at that time I was working at Sephora and every time I went in for an audio job, they'd be like, Sephora, that is irrelevant to any of this. And for the first time, Kelly Veronica told me, oh, you work at Sephora, that's amazing. Client service is really important in our field. And we just like really hit it off and I got the internship and that was March of 2016 and it changed my life and I thank Kelly and Veronica for that, for creating such an amazing and welcoming environment and vouching for me when no one else would. Um, less than a year later after that I got hired as a Girls on the Mic instructor, which is a youth program that teaches young girls recording and mixing and music production. Then slowly, you know, a program coordinator and then studio engineer. And I met such amazing people through their residency program, like Vireni Chotima. I recorded her album, met Rocky Rivera. And like now I'm recording Rocky Rivera's audiobook. you know? So like, even though that nonprofit was, had its own things and I, I did resign ultimately, for various reasons, 
the people I met at that org really have impacted my life in such a positive way. The connections I made, the friendships that were created, and shit, like I said earlier, that's where I met Karina. Now look at us. I work with Kelly Coyne again at um, another studio. Uh, Veronica is one of my very close and dear friends. Like, Vireni is so important to me. And, like, the list go on. Angelo, Jessica, like, every single person that I met through that org is a great blessing. And an important thing that my peers, an important word of advice that they have given me has been to be gentle with myself. As women, we're, like, extra criticized if we mess up. We're extra, like, we can't mess up. We can't do this because they already think we're going to fail. But ultimately, everyone messes up. And, you know, a lot of these white men do such mediocre jobs and, like, are just get by with it, you know? Be gentle with yourself. I'm gentle with myself now. And it took a long time. On a positive note, though, the face of sound is changing quickly, you know? Like, I think of all the youth that we trained every year, and I think of all those babies growing up and maybe choosing this as their career. I see all of our interns. I see every single person that has, like, grown in their career and taken up space and... I'm so proud, you know, I'm so happy to see the direction that this is going. And hopefully when my students are in that control room, in that chair, they don't get clients that come in and go, so how long you been doing this? That client's coming into their booth, unsure of your talent, unsure of your knowledge, asking you, so how long you been doing this? Or deal with cranky old men on a panel with you thinking you're a student and thanking you for coming to listen to his knowledge in the music industry. I was like, bro, my name's right next to you as I'm on this panel. Bye. Those are just two small instances of like misogyny and machismo microaggressions that as an engineer and a woman you have to deal with. But I do absolutely have hope that that will change. And you know, my old boss one time was like, all these cranky old men gonna die soon anyway. Anyways, with all that being said, that is why a very big goal of mine and focus in my career is creating a safe space, a safe environment, a comfortable environment where QTPOC women, non-men can just like feel safe and comfortable to be able to express and release everything that they have to in the booth. You know, recording, creating music is such a vulnerable process. Having bad energy, bad spirit, bad, just like evil up in there because that's what misogyny machismo is fucking evil to degrade someone to think down on them to talk to them like they don't know what the fuck they're doing and that they have no direction i've seen engineers hella do that yeah creating a safe environment creating a comfortable environment 
creating an environment where we could be collaborators and grow this process together and for you to look back and be like wow like I actually had a great time recording that I had such a good time in the studio I didn't feel like I was being pressed I didn't feel like I was being disrespected I did feel like I was being heard and listened to I've seen it the time that I came and hung out was it a few weeks ago mm -hmm. um you were here with with a young artist you were helping her through one song but then she ended up coming here and recording her whole album with you right that she's about yeah. to drop she is Carly hey Carly hey Carly she just dropped a Christmas album in December a great new emerging artist right on we'll drop it we'll we'll drop it in the um in the description of the podcast so shout out to carly but i saw that you know i saw the space that you created i saw the you know just getting to chill in the kitchen having some tea like when um yeah just the way that you supported her as an artist um was very visible and was very palpable in that energy so so i witnessed that what you're speaking of the the vibe that you're trying to create and the the space that you're trying to create um, and to go back to something you said, like, yeah, shout out to all the doulas and the birth workers, you know, the BIPOC, like doulas and birth workers out there that are really supporting their mamas and that are doing the research and that are pushing through programs. You know, I got some sisters in Salt Lake City who are really, um, yeah, who are doing really amazing things and who are really pushing for more protection, more, you know, just more safety for, for the mamas. So yeah, you spoke you spoke of some artists that you've gotten to work with and you know, I know that um you recorded one of our sisters. Shout out Chotima. Hey girl. Uh, we love you but um you know, you recorded her album Caldo de Hueso. That album was hot. Is hot. It's still, you know, y'all go check it out on streaming platforms. Um but yeah, tell us about Tell us about the process or, you know, maybe that process specifically um, of, of supporting an artist like Choti, who is multi-talented. Multi-talented as fuck. Educator, musician, rapper, singer, songwriter, danzante, medicine worker, healer. De todo. Our friends really are amazing. A lot of talent. Choti's definitely going to be a guest on here. But yeah, what what was that process like? Wow. First of all, I want to say that I've worked on many, many projects. And Caldo de Hueso is an album I still listen to all of the time. I do not get tired of it. And you know, as engineers, we are listening to that track over and over and over again. Just even in the process of recording it and then mixing it. And, you know... All of the projects I work on are great. There's just, by the end, I'm kind of like burnt out by hearing them over and over again. But that is not the case with this album. I will probably listen to it forever and enjoy every moment of it. This project was through Women's Audio Mission. During that time, we're doing an artist residency with female MCs. And that's, you know, when I met her soul and Rocky Rivera and I had Rocky in today actually when we were recording her audiobook like I said earlier and big shout outs to Rocky Rivera having her in the studio has been amazing and if y'all haven't checked out 
her book, Snake Skin, written by Rocky Rivera. Check it out. This book is amazing. And stay tuned for the audiobook. Nice. Yeah, I'm like, talk about a Bay Area legend who brings... I um I show her some of her music videos to the youth, like the youth that I work with, like, you know, starting the sessions yeah. or ending the sessions with music. And she's always one of the the artists that I lift up and people are always like, wow, you know, from from her lyrics to to her presence to to the videos themselves. Right. Um, what it's always it's always such a gift. Um, I remember that release party, actually, for Rocky's Revenge at the Uptown. Right. Mm-hmm. I think Versoul um, was one of the folks opening, which is why I had gone there to, to support Versoul. Um, beautiful show. Yeah. Beautiful show. We each got an artist during that project where we all met and Choti had requested a engineer that spoke Spanish, and that was me. Um, so I'm glad that spirit brought us together because our friendship has grown and become so amazing. Choti is such a precious person in my life, and I hold him dearly. And I'm so thankful and blessed to have them and call them fam. So, yeah. So cute. I love that. Muscle. Right? Soul medicine. Yeah. Soul filling. That's right. You know, this podcast is about storytelling. So earlier you said, um, you know, it's so, I forget exactly how you said it, but just the vulnerability, right, of being in the studio, of recording, of your voice. And, And I feel that on like a little scale, right, with this podcast. Like as I, started to record it just like you know you're like am I really gonna do this can I do this is it gonna sound good you know you're kind of overthinking all the all the things when you start and and also it's it's extremely empowering to start doing it I felt that I felt something shift inside me the more that I use my voice and the more that I record either the little episodes or you know these episodes with guests and so this podcast is, is meant for, for, the, for stories, right? For stories to emerge, and especially stories like this one that we don't get to hear about a lot. And I've always wondered, you know, as someone who works with audio in the way that you do, how are you telling stories, you know, using your medium? And, and what stories, you know, what other stories are you hoping to uplift on, on your path and in, in your craft, if that makes sense? Yeah, that... That's a great question. My day-to-day is dedicated to capturing other people's stories and making sure that other people's stories get told. And I feel like a part of my journey and like, or like my role in this is to make sure that that happens. I'm really into archiving as well. So how am I going to get my stories out? That day will come. I'm not too sure when, you know? Or how? Because you know, a girl could talk. An important thing. You got hella shit to say, girl. <laughs> like, shit people need to hear. I haven't figured out how I want to get those stories out. In what way. But what I do know for a fact is that in the meantime, and probably even during and after, I will make sure to be able to capture other people's stories in the best way possible. I will say, though, that sometimes it's hard not to get lost in the sauce of everyone else's creativity and making sure that their projects come out and not working on your own. 
So I have decided to focus and create um, an EP. What? But what? Yes, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you did, but I heard it here first. <laughs> yes, girl. And I will say that even though I talk a lot, we all know that. I could talk for days. Um, it is really hard, actually, for me to express like my true feelings in words. Um, so for me, I think my form of expression really comes through feelings and sound and like beats and, you know, just like instrumentals and everything, you know, like it's way easier for me to express an emotion, not through words, but through sound. Um, so yeah, you know, I can't, I can't put into words how I feel, but I could show you, you could listen and then get an idea. The emotions that that invokes in you could be a reflection of how I feel. Another personal project of mine that I was almost ready to launch in a way got stopped by the pandemic the beginning of the pandemic i was so close to like really getting everything together for it okay um, and pandemic fucked up everything girl yes and you know this specific project that i want to do involved elders and you know we gotta, we gotta protect our elders we gotta make sure they're safe and now i'm like oh now i'm hella busy just trying to like catch up on everything so a little bit more about this project there definitely came a moment where I had left this terrible corporate job and I had to like reel it back in with sound. Like, why did I start this? Like, why am I in this field? Why is my passion? I was like, if recording and mixing is like my bag, like that is what I know how to do and what I do best. What can my sound work give? How can it be useful? I'm always like, ooh, is it the kingdom falls? What's my role gonna be? All I know how to do is music. All I know how to do is sound, but music is medicine. And, you know, I obviously have a love for archive work and capturing stories. Elders are really important to me. I'm the oldest of the oldest of the oldest. I got to hang out with my elders. I got to convivir with mis bisabuelos. Not only just like have a recollection of them, but like to hang out with them, to experience them. And unfortunately, the way colonization works is now conquer and divide or we're not connected to our elders no more. A lot of them are in the homeland. A lot of them are, we're just all separated or our elders have severe illness caused by neocolonization, by having the trauma of having to flee and work in, in a country that treats you less than learn a new language. Anyways, yeah, I wanted to start a project, and this project was initially inspired by one of my best friends, Bella. Hey, Bella. Hey, Bella. Big, big, big shout-outs to Bella. They are such an important person in my life. I cry because they are such a blessing. That's family right there. So, yeah, you know, one of my friends was 
telling their mom like oh kiki has such a big family she has such a big family like i just can't even imagine you know our family is so small and her mom was like no it's not our family's not small but a lot of them died in the war and my friend was like what and they're like yeah you know your grandma had x amount of siblings i only remember some of their names um you should ask her friend's grandma she currently has dementia so her memory is leaving her with her memory goes the rest of her siblings all of the relatives all of the family the names their personalities their remembrance her recipes and I got the idea I was like we have to interview your grandma like you have to interview her and that's where the idea like sparked in my head like oh shit actually this is something I want to do like I want to be able to professionally record diaspora kids you know first gen families of immigrants and I want a younger generation or you know not the babies I mean yes the babies but you know young adults to interview if they have accessible their elders okay I also want to say elders love to talk I love that about elders because I like to talk too and they got so many stories they got so much to say so much game so much knowledge to put us on um and again like we're forced to leave our countries and come here and just work, work, work. Like, you can't focus on anything else. And we're out here. And a lot of times, we don't know how we got here. To be able to ask your elder, like, yo, where are you from? What was your town like? Who are your siblings? Have I met them? What did your mom do? What did your dad do? What were your grandparents like? Where did you land when you first came to America? Did you go straight here? Did you go straight there? What did you do for work? How did you learn the language? Tell us stories. All of these stories are so important. You know, to be able to ask your elder, like, questions about, like, stories that, unfortunately, and they believe that for their generation has been swept under the rug. Some of these stories are hard, and, like, I also don't want to, like, trigger our elders and do all of that, but every person can have you know have like a generic outline of like questions but also have the interviewer ask the interviewee like recipes that they love experiences that they want to share and you know end off the interview with a message for their descendants to come you know like I said earlier, I am the oldest of the oldest of the oldest for a couple generations, as many generations as actually um, I can pull back. And I was able to hang out with my great-grandparents, but I also witnessed each single one of them pass on to Mitlan. And to be able to have a professional recording of their voice to be able to like ask them these questions that I didn't get to ask because I was a child and didn't really think to ask those questions. To be able to have a word of advice, a word of love, a word of dedicated to their descendants to come, to be able to show like my youngest brothers who 
don't have memory recollection of them, didn't get to meet them for my children to come. I think that is power in storytelling and sound. I think that is so important. And, you know, I'd also love to do like a gallery show with it, do like an audio tour where the diaspora comes together. We all like bring food from our homelands. And like, I would love to take like video and picture and just like celebrate our elders. Colonization is violent and they're still here. Let's celebrate them for everything and all the sacrifices that they had to do for us to get here. And just like give them a night of celebration. That is my goal. I, I know I have a lot to offer this world, but in specific for me is sound and recording. And I would love to capture these recordings and give them back to the families and to have and hold and cherish forever. You know, I don't know what DAWs and I don't know what sound systems are going to look like in the future. I hope in the midst of everything, they'll be able to go back to these recordings and those elders once they do pass to Miklan, will then be immortalized through their voices, through their stories, and through their legacy that they leave. Remembrance is everything. Honor is everything. And you know, our ancestors used to honor their elders, used to respect them. They were the keepers of knowledge, tradition, stories. Thank you so much for trusting trusting me and trusting the space to share that. I got chills, you know, like that hit, that really hit my gut. Because um, I think about that all the time too. You know, I try to call my elders and spend time with them on the phone when I can't see them for a long time. And that feeling of like, they're just so happy every time you call. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, you would take the time out of your day to call me? It's like, uh, yeah, you're actually one of the most important people for me to call. and so much that gets passed on and what it's like a lot of the things that you're speaking to the recipes the stories the names the family trees it's also what we crave especially you know um folks migrant folks folks of the diaspora folks who have been separated it's such a part of our identity that we're losing when we don't get to see our elders every you know once a week you go over and you go to your auntie's house and you have for us like a cup of tea and whatever you know and and when you don't get to do that every week and you don't get to have that it's just so much of our identity feels stripped um you know before i had the idea for this podcast i um an idea that was that is is still in there somewhere for me was um interviewing my grandma and like sitting with like my cousins and just like asking her all the questions about our homelands about Algeria about life there about her her migrating to France about you know and it's um so I love this I love this I'm so excited for you to birth this project because Mm -hmm. it's it's so beautiful it's so necessary for for all the reasons you named and um yeah I just yeah I got chills thinking about that like the babies like generations from now being able to hear like professional recordings yes girl colonization como te digo divide and conquer our family units look so different than they have for thousands and thousands and thousands of years since the beginning of time 
in my own family, I never got to meet my paternal grandmother because she was in Mexico and my dad didn't have papers for many years. And when he finally got his papers, he was only able to go one time before she passed away. And I was young and he was like, okay, now that I know that my papers work and everything, like I'm gonna take her. And unfortunately she passed away and I didn't, I didn't get that chance to meet her. And my dad migrated to the United States by himself to help his family. As opposed to my maternal grandmother, she raised me, we're so close. She's one of my best friends. And so the difference there, and you know, when I do go to Mexico and I do try to go as often as I can, but it never feels enough. And it sucks, you know, like I miss my family every single day. I miss my abuelito and like my nana and tata, my, my maternal grandparents. I was raised with them and then they retired when I was about middle school and they went back to Mexico because they didn't feel like there was a future for them here that they could afford, honestly. And I know so many people live this reality and those who have their relatives here, we're always on survival mode. How many how many of our elders have worked till they physically could not anymore in this country? So yes, I look forward to uplifting them, our elders. Because if we can't uplift ourselves, then we can't uplift our ancestors. And we can't uplift generations to come. Their stories are our stories too. They're in our DNA. Yeah. Swimming around in our veins right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I when you say that about the way that um, elders are treated and Shout out to Destiny Arts Center, actually. It makes me think of uh, one of their shows. Uh, I want to say it was like 2018. And the show was very intergenerational. I mean, a lot of their shows are intergenerational. There's like the youth, you know, they're dancing. And, and then they have a, a group of elders that, you know, are part of the show. And so much of that show was you can tell so much about a society given how they treat the youngest folks and the oldest folks. Um, and, and I think that... We've learned, I mean, you and I, we've worked with youth, and so I think we've, we've definitely, we know how to focus on the youth, but there's a whole, you know, there's a whole portion of our, of our communities, our elders that, that are not, you know, being, being cared for and respected, and it's so much loss. It's such a, a microcosm, like the loss of elders to what's happening just in the world and, and loss of, of memory, loss of identity. And so I, I understand why it's happening. It's very, um, it's very intentional, right? The system is, is set up that way. And, you know, part of your story is also there's so many components to who you are. Part of your story is you're Bay Area native. <laughs> right you're from here and yeah, yeah. <laughs> um what does it mean to wrap that part of that part of your identity wow being from the bay being from the bay is a, a whirlwind it's a wild ride lately you know i always get asked where are you from because so many people from the bay have been displaced and then that moment of like when you're traveling and they're like where are you from and i don't know if to be like Mexico or oh where I'm from from like I grew up in this hood in the East Bay or be like well I live now in San Francisco and I love the city since I was little I was like mm, when I grow up I'm gonna move there and like full transparency a lot of people think that 
I'm like from the city, but I did grow up in the East Bay. And I moved to the city when I was 17. Can't believe it. It's about to be 10 years. That's wild. Time is weird. But yeah, every Sunday, my family, we would go to Ocean Beach. And I'd be like, I'm going to live here one day. And my parents were like, mm-hmm. <laughs> And now I live about three blocks away from Ocean Beach. Like, I walk there almost every day. And if that's not creator, pff, I don't know. Right. And shout outs to young me for knowing what she wanted. Mm, I'm making it happen. Thanks, boo. But yeah, if you ask my family, I live too far. They would be like, I'm like, when are y'all going to come visit me? They're like, ah, oh, you're too far. They're like, when are you coming over? I'm like, it's the same distance. What are you talking about? But you know that bridge feels real long sometimes. You know that bridge feels long sometimes. My friends in town are like, ooh, going to Frisco right now. Like, oh, you, I don't know. And then we be in the city like, oh, we got to go all the way to the town. I don't know if I want to cross that bridge right now. You know? <laughs> sometimes that bridge feels real long. Growing up in Conkers definitely felt like a a different world, a different time, different life, no? Even going back now, I go there and I'm like, fuck, this is one of my favorite places on earth. But it's also like the root of a lot of my sadness and trauma. And also now, just as an adult, seeing it change so quickly, like some things don't change. The paletero has been the paletero since all my life. The liquor store has been the liquor store my whole life. And then, also, gentrification happening at the same time is just so, it's so mind-boggling. Um, yeah, I don't know. Living through and experiencing such a mass gentrification is crazy. That, like, again, I'm in the outskirts, you know? But the ripple effect of everything. I think of when I was in high school and a, we got a bunch of kids from Bernal Heights one year and we were all like what we're like damn there's hella frisco kids starting this year that's so interesting you know we all made friends really quick and asking them oh what made y'all move out here and they're like it's cheaper like they're raising rent and i was just being like damn that's crazy and i was an adult being like oh shit these are all of my new peers were actually children of families that got displaced from the city and, you know, with that came some conflicts, but mostly for us, cool, right? You know, at that time, we were just used to going to school with people we grew up with. A lot of people I went to high school with, I went to elementary school with. So having, like, a set of new people, um, at least for me, it was exciting because I was always like, oh, what's good? Love meeting new people sometimes. I think maybe more when I was younger. <laughs> But yeah, now it's more like every time I blink, something's different, something's changed. I remember San Francisco as a child so differently than I do now, and that shit breaks my heart. I can't imagine having have been raised like in the city and your whole reality is just different every fucking day. Like if it's hard for me, I cannot fathom how hard it is for someone that was raised in the city. Shit, shit makes me mad. But yeah, you know, growing up in Concord, I was raised on Monument Boulevard, representando. Tengo tanto, tanto amor for that boulevard. But it wasn't always love, you know? It is a very 
especially when I was growing up, a forgotten area, you know, typical marginalized community of color, low income, food desert, by food desert, you know what I mean? Just like no good grocery stores, fast food in every corner, liquor store in every corner, smoke shop in every corner. But you know, within community, it is mostly like Latinx community. The best grocery stores are the Mexican produce stores, the carnicerias. Shout out to Los Montañas, you know, where you can get produce and like be able to get good food like, to be able to sustain ourselves. And that, you know, that food desert continues. They took away the one safe way, <laughs> replaced it with a food max that you couldn't even pay me to eat the produce out of that fucking store. But, you know, there's still beauty in this community. I think about it every day because I've seen it every day. The resilience of an immigrant working class community, I don't think it ever be beat. You know, to be able to laugh at our miserias, to be able to keep going is intense. You know, growing up, gang violence really, really pillaged our community, impacted my life, absolutely. It took over my life um, at a very, very young age. On my baptism video, on my one-year birthday, you know, my deal takes the camera for a second, and it's just like... Homies throwing up gang signs, clica shit. You know, little did I know that that was pretty much my baptism into my future of like how gang violence really just was my reality and almost could have been my complete downfall. You know, I didn't expect to live past 18. I, <laughs> I feel like I've lived many lives at this point, but while you're living that life, Time moves really slow yet fast. It took a lot for me to overcome my surroundings and my reality. And I think the only way out was to physically get out. And for that, I am so grateful to the city to carve a space for me where I felt comfortable enough to leave my reality and my comfort zone to go somewhere where I knew the streets but didn't really know anybody was really my refuge and I was able to leave home to focus on school and get out really and you know I'm still hella cool with everyone from back home even though we live completely different lives and are in different phases of our lives so I have all the homegirls all the homies and they're all just like, yeah, you know, you you left to do your music shit. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my past makes me who I am today. I feel very grateful to be alive. And I'm grateful to be able to go home. Like my parents, my whole family, they still all live there. And, you know, I could still confidently go home and say hi to everybody and be cool with everybody and enjoy the pockets of beauty that I think a few see with our forgotten boulevard. Everyone just talks to you like, ah, those Mexicans are hella annoying. Like on Clay Court, which is like the East Bay little news thing. 
Yeah, those same people who love to call people for monument, criminals and gangbangers and the Mexicans are the ones that are going to eat tacos in our neighborhoods, right? And I say that because Pleasant Hill is so close. What separates Concord and Pleasant Hill is a fucking freeway bridge. You go through the underpass, you hit a right and boom, like that shit's different. Then all of a sudden you're middle class, white middle class. And that's where like Wanna Creek, Pleasant Hill is like that cutoff. It was like five minutes away, boom. And then it's Concord, Pittsburgh, Antioch, right? Very different. Antioch got voted the worst place to live in California, no, in the Bay. I don't know if in all of California, they believe in the Bay. And the other day I seen people were making fun of a group uh, on, what is it called? On Airbnb. There's an Airbnb taco tour of Monument. I was like, I wish these white people would. I'm like, you know, times are different. The streets are the same, but there cannot be a group of white people just walking down, doing a taco tour of our boulevard and then forgetting about it and talking shit about it for the rest of the year. Hell no. But yeah, to circle back to what is it like being from the Bay? It is beautiful, but it is heartbreaking because I'm constantly, constantly asking myself, how much longer can I stay? Is there a future for me here? I love the Bay. If you're from the Bay, you're so fucking proud, right? As you should be. And I can't speak for everyone, but at least all of my friends that I've had these conversations with, we're always like, how long can we stay? Could we, like, is it feasible to stay and try to, like, build a family here or a future here where you're not renting and living with three other people minimum, right? Am I going to have housemates for the rest of my life? Am I going to rent for the rest of my life? Am I going to be moving constantly because housing is so unstable here? And it sucks because I know that everyone that is still here fights for every day to be able to just, like, stay in a place that we love. There is no place like the Bay. I have traveled so many places, and I compare everything to home. I compare everything to the Bay. And the hyphy moment was a fucking experience to live through. And it's like, how do you explain this? How can you explain this feeling of pride, of love, when it's changing so quickly? What can you hold on to? I ask myself, is this just an ego thing? Can I just not let it go? Have I just convinced myself that I have to stay because I don't want to be one more displaced person? I don't know. Even my parents, you know, my parents, they immigrated here. My mom immigrated in 87 and my dad got here in 89 and they both landed in Concord, California. My parents met on this boulevard and they met at that 7-Eleven. When I'm famous, I'm put a fucking plaque there. Um, <laughs> you know, but they've also been like, things have just changed so quickly and the prices of things have gone up so much. 
uh, they also have questioned if there is a future for them here or if they will have to go back to Mexico upon retiring like my grandparents did. And that's, it's just so unfair, right? That folks born and raised in the Bay have to have that discourse and have to have that. Am I wanting to stay in the Bay out of pride or am I like, why should you even have to ask yourself that question? Like you want to stay in the place that is home. You want to stay in the place that birthed you. You want to stay in the place that raised you. I remember hearing years back, the first time I heard someone say that gentrification is one of the last iterations or even phases of colonization. Absolutely. It's happening like before our eyes and and you're right, like how quickly it happens, how quickly it's happened over over the last couple of decades and, and at what point does it stop? And the sad thing is what makes the Bay is the folks from the Bay. You know what I mean? Like what what people Folks who come here either to visit or folks who come here, you know, I migrated to the Bay when I was um, nine years old. Like either those of us who are coming like in that way or folks who are just, you know, again, coming to visit or coming to, to, to settle here. There is something about the Bay that everyone falls in love with. And that's getting, that's what's getting pushed out. The culture, right? The people, the artists, the 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 culture keepers the storytellers you know and it's really sad it's really sad to witness and to to see happen before our eyes and and bay folks don't fuck around bay folks do not fuck around and then transplants get scared right and the bay is too small like physically it's small like there is not physically enough space for more people we are at capacity and yeah, I don't think people realize how small the bay is. You know, you can't even talk shit in peace. Because <laughs> you don't know who about to be in the room who know that person that you talking shit about. Someone's going to know. Someone's, someone's going to find out. But yeah, there's just, we're fully at capacity. There is no way that we can all fit up in here. With all that being said, the bay, regardless of where life takes me, will always be home. Different homes for different parts of my life. Concord. San Francisco. I wish sustainable housing for every Bay baby. Also, fun fact, Karina, the studio owner, Studio X, is also from the Bay. So you got two Bay baddies right here. Support us. (laughs) That's right. So for all of your recording, mixing, mastering, production, songwriting needs, Podcast needs, right? Studio X, women of color owned and women of color from the Bay. And that's that's something to be to be lifted and celebrated. I mean, girl, you're always and forever throwing down for community, you know, mm-hmm. from rent strikes to mutual aids to so much in between. <laughs> we may or may not talk about. But you know what what's your front line and and, and what keeps you going? Hot take my anger. <laughs> My anger fuels my passion to not sit here and be sad and do nothing. But my anger comes from a place of love and it pushes me to live better and be happy for myself, for my ancestors, through everyone that has suffered so much. For me to be here right now like that shit pisses me off and I refuse to not be happy. I refuse to not not fight. 
I will not feed into this system that that has been suffocating us for so long. You know, that anger coming from a place of love ignites my fight and gives me the power to do what I gotta do and fight my fight. This is what keeps you this is what keeps you fighting for for what you believe in and for your front line is that anger, right? That righteous anger. There's so much tone policing around. I mean, that could be a whole other podcast episode in itself, but the tone policing of of righteous anger against the death machine. Literally, yeah. like we're supposed to not feel all the feels or you know, package it in um a nice little nice little box that white supremacy can um can handle but how could we not be so angry how could we not be all the things that we are facing this these machines and ultimately my best revenge against colonialism and against the state is to live my best life and be happy as fuck and to be confident in my relationships i know that every single person in my life we're all building towards a better future. I know that a different world is possible. And I know that the people in my circles are all working towards that. So being happy and just surrounding myself with people that contribute to that, that we all pour into each other, that we all collectively fight against the powers that be for us all to live better, for all of our families, for all of our ancestors, to continue to do medicine and ceremony you and i met in ceremony and i i love that that holds such a dear place in my heart but yeah colonization affects us every single day it affects my body it affects our bodies literal trauma is just like embedded in my dna and in all of our dnas of colonized peoples and we're just supposed to live every day and go to our silly little jobs and be in front of a desk and computer all day. Like, we're not meant to do that shit. So I'm going to do me, and I'm going to do what I can with what I've been given. And I'm going to run with that shit. I'm not grateful for the breadcrumbs anymore. And I'm going to live my best life. My anger will only empower me and not let my anger let me become bitter. I'm trying to only use my anger for good. <laughs> That ebb and flow of that lesson, of not letting it engulf you and not just letting the rage blind you in a lot of ways, except when it needs to and except when it's when it's really fueling you. you know, mm-hmm. Definitely had those moments where it's like I needed it to engulf me to be able to push forward. But but yeah, like we also deserve the joy and the serenity and the tranquility of our spirits um, in our day to day. So I get that too of like. It can't be all all encompassing and all engulfing all the time. Girl, thank you so much for this interview. Look at us. We could just we could go for like two more hours. I'm gonna end I'm gonna end on a quick random last question, but hashtag Femme Fader Friday. It was images of you <laughs> with your nails always on point. Um, the people are always in need of this and I'm just wondering, <laughs> is this a hashtag that you created? Uh, is it around still? If not, when is it coming back? Hashtag Femme Fader Friday. Femme Fader Friday needs to come back. 
you know, for the first time in hella long, I'm actually giving my nails a break. But if you know me, I always have some long ass, extra ass acrylics on. And I love that. <laughs> Many times throughout my education in audio, I was told that I could not use or have acrylics in the studio and that I wouldn't be able to do anything or that it was a hazard. And then I thought about it and I was like, none of these old white men have ever tried to do anything with acrylics. What do they know? Like, why? Like, why can't I wear them? And I did internalize it for a second and I feel like I would try to tone down my high feminist. And then I was like, why? Like, this is who I am. Like, I can be both. I can be militant and feminine and I can also be an audio baddie and feminine and I could be masculine when I want to but I want my I want my nails and I will have my nails um so Femme Fader Friday was created more out of resilience and pushback on the whole notation that you cannot have acrylics in the studio and like audio bros always have Fader Friday Fader Friday um, so I was like, how about a Femme Fader Friday where it is a picture of my bomb ass set on these faders? Much more better and more interesting to look at than their unfiled gross nails, in my personal opinion. You're like, get your crusty knuckles out of here yeah, and show these cute right. nails. But a highlight in my career was <laughs> Rupert Neve, his page, like their company reposted my Femme Fader Friday and I was like, oh my God. You know, Femmes, we're all so cute. We have such great ideas. We make everything look better. The aesthetic of a sound person has been so boring. I don't want to see another white man with a balding ponytail and a black hoodie being cranky. I'm tired of that being like what the idea of a sound person is. And like, I love outboard gear. I love gear. I can have some cute ass nails on some fire ass gear. But yeah. Next, catch me next set, next fly set on a Friday for Femme Fader Friday. Well, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing all the ways that folks are expected to to minimize, yeah, to just make themselves smaller and erase parts of themselves in order to fit into boxes that were, you know, breaking through all the boxes, breaking through all the 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 binaries and the expectations yes so thank you for you know for giving the context to femme fader friday when i saw it i was like mm, this looks like this looks like kiki's thing but let me ask <laughs> i love it and that's just you know as a wrap-up just to say may you always bust through all the fucking doors and may you always give yourself the permission to just shine because you're such a force you're such a force in in your own right and in who you are and and such a light for people like it's just even even throughout this podcast episode you know shout out here and shout out there and and it's you know not everybody thinks to do that right not everybody thinks to do that but that's that's who you are and that's how you move and and so may the world always get the gift of you, you know, like may we always get to see, get to see all these parts of you. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on this episode. Thank you. Oh, my God. Hania, thank you so much for having me on here and creating this space and holding space and just like being you. You are such a blessing in everyone's life. And now you're going to bless the masses with your podcast like thank you for creating this podcast and 
the stories and the energy and just like everything that you do is so amazing and so immensely appreciated. You are such a force and I love you so, so much. Look at us. <laughs> Look at us getting all emotional. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much, Shukran, for being here, for witnessing, for listening, for letting what needed to emerge emerge with us tonight. This episode was recorded at Studio X in Oakland, California. That is occupied, unceded, Lejean Ohlone territory. If you are in the Bay Area, this is your invitation to pay your Shumi land tax to the matriarchs, the indigenous urban matriarchs who are holding down the critical work of, of rematriation through the Sogodate Land Trust. Thank you for being here. Ma'asalama. Peace, y'all.